0: Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. We are into the final week before the big dance. We are inching ever so close to the magical tournament in March. And BetOnline has you covered with all the latest odds, totals, and props for basketball season head over to the website or use your mobile devices to sign up today and get your 50 percent welcome bonus using our promo code believe b-l-e-a-v bet online where the game starts Easy podcast, live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live, because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is March 9th, according to my count. May not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is. You may be listening After a full year of conversation and chatter and trade scenarios and Instagram pages and losing Instagram pages and podcasts and all of that wonderful, wonderful mess, we have ourselves resolutions in not just the Aaron Rodgers situation, but also the Russell Wilson situation. And lo and behold, Russell Wilson is the one who got traded to the Denver Broncos instead of Aaron Rodgers, who signed $50 million a year to re up with the Green Bay Packers. But I would like to begin the show talking about these two moves because we can put this in a macro level conversation together into one podcast around Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson because both of their situations were incredibly similar. You had two quarterbacks top nine in the NFL, and they are two of the 15 players that we universally regard as game-changing. Now, maybe Russell Wilson isn't as game-changing as he once was, but Russell Wilson's still Tier 2 quarterback. Uh, Maybe at one point he was a Tier 1 quarterback many years ago, but still Russell Wilson, Tier 1 quarterback. Seattle Seahawks with, you know, Legion of Boom win a Super Bowl with Russell Wilson in his early years. Then he becomes a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback, and Russell Wilson... Ends up having the most wins in a six-year period in the history of the NFL without making it to a conference championship. Y'all know I've got some <laughs> issues with Russell Wilson being corporate Russell and saying less than three months ago that it's cool to be like Tom Brady or sorry to be like Derek Jeter or to be like Michael Jordan and play for one team for your entire career. And lo and behold, he was orchestrating his way out of Seattle the entire time. Like we said last year on the podcast, when we were at first talking about him going on Dan Patrick and talking about his offensive line not being up to speed, and then the Seahawks floating the Dolphins and Jets as possible trade destinations for him, because the Dolphins and Jets at the time had the number one or had the number two and three picks in the NFL draft. And then Russell Wilson's agent gave a list of teams that Russell would want to go to, none of which included the Denver Broncos originally. I believe it was the Bears. Raiders, Saints, and I can't remember who the other team was. Oh, Cowboys. Those would be the teams that Russell Wilson would consider going to. And then he ultimately waived the no-trade clause for Denver a year later. So we'll talk about that situation, but first I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers. Because Aaron Rodgers, as we talked about back in November, when he was going through his Losing his reputation because they were calling him throw Rogan and because Aaron Rodgers we found out he wasn't vaccinated because he tested positive and had to miss a game because he wasn't vaccinated and lied about being vaccinated and started to become a speaking platform for libertarian politics across America. Aaron Rodgers decided that he going back to last year that Aaron Rodgers wanted to gain more power in the final few years of his NFL career. Aaron Rodgers surveyed the landscape at all the possible teams available and it was listed that the Steelers were in the mix and the Titans were in the mix and the Broncos were in the mix. All of these teams that were possibly going to get Aaron Rodgers and all the way through and through the Packers were always the best football option for Aaron Rodgers. But the thing I'd been saying in November and into December and little bits and pieces as we talked about Aaron Rodgers, which we didn't really talk about for the last month, but little bits and pieces here and there is, does Aaron Rodgers prioritize the best football situation over all else? Because we talk about how everyone prioritizes what the best football situation is for them. Everyone wants to win. Everyone wants to put themselves in the best position to succeed. That is entirely rational, but it was entirely possible that Aaron Rodgers wanted to build something with an organization that would have had to give up exorbitant amounts of draft picks to acquire him, whoever it may have been. The Aaron Rodgers situation was, I want to build a team because I'm a two-time MVP and any team that I go to immediately becomes at least a baseline level contender. You know, with stability built around me, at least a baseline contender is what I'm getting from these other teams. And while you could argue the Titans had a deeper roster, or the Steelers had a better star than anyone on the Green Bay Packers, Green Bay Packers were the best football option for Aaron Rodgers, even as they start heading towards salary cap hell just a little bit. And so Aaron Rodgers re-upped long term with the Packers, but Aaron Rodgers can always leave the Packers because he has the leverage to retire whenever he so chooses now into his 40s. So Aaron Rodgers, when push came to shove, and I don't know how much power he's getting in the Packers organization or what kind of agreement he came to last offseason, Aaron Rodgers ultimately chose the best football decision for Aaron Rodgers, which was not a guarantee this entire time. Everyone was confused for a while. Why would you want to leave the Packers? The Packers have the best team in the NFL, Other than maybe the 49ers if they just got a quarterback or, you know, a team that already has a quarterback like the Chiefs or the Bills. Why would you want to leave the Green Bay Packers? There is no better situation currently in the NFL. Maybe Rodgers was playing the big chess move game, but the teams he was talking about were the Raiders and the Broncos, which didn't necessarily signify pillars of success in the NFL, unless he, like, navigated his way to, like, the 49ers or something like that. Like, they don't scream pillars of success in the NFL or building something stable. The Broncos and Raiders have been pretty consistently mediocre across the last five to six years, or in the case of the Raiders, the last 15 to 16 years. And so the uh, Denver Broncos end up snagging, Russell Wilson. So on the flip side of Aaron Rodgers is Russell Wilson, where if you ask the question, was this a better football move for Russell Wilson? I could hear both sides on this one. Now the Seattle Seahawks... Had, exu- had exerted all of their resources in the past. They they made a, a relatively bad trade for Jamal Adams. It wasn't like a, a franchise collapsing trade, but they made a, a rough trade for Jamal Adams. They gave up two first round picks and Bradley McDougal came to them. And so, or I'm sorry, they gave up two first round picks and Bradley McDougal to get Jamal Adams. And Jamal Adams is very good, but he's not a game changing talent of player and I would argue that game changing talents of players are probably the only people you can justify giving up two first round picks for and so the Seahawks made that bad move they used all of their available cap space they whiffed on a couple draft picks whether it be uh, I mean Jordan Brooks is fine LJ Collier in the first round is not a game changing player by any stretch of the imagination Rashad Penny until the last four weeks of this season not a game changing player So the Seahawks had used all of their available cap situation, like they'd use all of their resources, all of their cap space, all of the goodwill that Russell Wilson had in that locker room, and by the way, Russell Wilson did get hurt at the end of the season, and Russell Wilson was two years away from coming up on a new contract, and so the Seattle Seahawks decided that now was the time to trade Russell Wilson because Russell Wilson wanted to leave, The whole time it was like Russell Wilson dictates where Russell Wilson wants to go because he has a no-trade clause and can work behind the scenes to get traded. Denver is an interesting choice. Because I've said for many years, this is one of the franchises that we've beefed with, not quite as aggressively as the Bears or the Giants, who are just perpetually mediocre shit franchises, but the Broncos have been terrible for six years. They also don't have an owner Like, they just, like, John Elway is essentially running the team, and John Elway was a terrible general manager, and by being a terrible general manager, he was promoted to running the whole shebang, because the family of Pat Bolin decides that they trust John Elway, and John Elway is the, this one's for John, or, you know, he's this one's for Pat, uh, after John, El- after Pat Bowlen did the this one's for John, and they're linked at the hip as John Elway ter- changed the entire fortunes of that franchise twenty years ago. They still trust him to help run the organization, and so John Elway is essentially running the Broncos. The Broncos have been run into the ground across seven years now since that Super Bowl in two thousand and fifteen. By the way, seven years ago, seven years ago, the Denver Broncos were in the Super Bowl. They have not made the playoffs since. Second longest playoff drought in the NFL. The Denver Broncos are a pretty good team. Like Jerry Judy is going to get better by virtue of not having Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke as his quarterback. Uh, KJ Hamler, if healthy, is going to get better. Cortland Sutton, who had flashes in his second season, is going to get better because he has Russell Wilson. And that's why acquiring a top 15 player is such a big deal. This gets the Denver Broncos in the game of being above average to average in the NFL. What that means is this gets the Broncos into the wild card because the Broncos will not be as good as the Kansas City Chiefs. Granted, the Kansas City Chiefs might have to replace Tyron Matthew and all of that stuff, but they will not be as good as the Kansas City Chiefs. The Denver Broncos might not be as good as the Chargers because the Chargers also have the game-changing quarterback in Justin Herbert. The Raiders are, you know, the Raiders are kind of about the same as the Broncos. They'll be fighting it out for the seventh playoff seed. But as long as you have Russell Wilson, the Denver Broncos should be good enough as that stands to be right in the thick of the playoff race. But unfortunately, they happen to play in an AFC that has now teams that have, or seven teams that have that dude at the quarterback position. They've got Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, uh, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, And Russell Wilson. Um, Am I forgetting? Oh, Derrick Henry, I guess, would be the other person. But I don't know if we have to count Derrick Henry in this conversation in such a way. But, yeah, uh, there are now... Well, I mean, you could throw the Patriots. There's a lot of really good teams in the AFC. And a lot of really good teams have Russell Wilsons. The Denver Broncos this year were an incredibly lucky team in one possession games. The Denver Broncos should have been, like... I I think they ended up, actually, with the the nine-pick in the draft... If I'm not mistaken, I think they're at the top of the draft again. I might be incorrect, but the Denver Broncos were terrible last year. They should have been a tanking team. And it's fascinating that Russell Wilson chose to go there while only giving up Noah Fant, which, you know, is a piece. He's a former first round pick, but I don't think he could have been traded for a first round pick tomorrow. So it's like adding a third round pick there and subtracting Shelby Harris who is a you know a middle of the road veteran journeyman defensive lineman that was more for moving the contract than it was for moving the player and they gave up all those picks which essentially puts the Broncos in the same purgatory that the Seahawks were in and by the way that's not to shade the Denver Broncos like if this if Russell Wilson had been healthy for all 16 games this year the Seahawks would have been the 7 seed in the NFC playoffs Like, this is not a a shade to the Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos get significantly better by making this trade. The Denver Broncos are roughly a better football situation than the Seattle Seahawks. I mean, the Seahawks have used all of their available cap space, and the Denver Broncos had lots of cap space, That part of which they used to help acquire Russell Wilson. And, you know, eventually, if Russell Wilson wants to, give Russell Wilson a contract extension. But what's interesting is that if you told me the Denver Broncos without draft picks versus the Seattle Seahawks with draft picks, those football situations feel relatively similar. And what that means is they're below average teams without Russell Wilson and they're above average teams with Russell Wilson. Because Russell Wilson is one of those 15 players in the NFL who really changes the game. I mean, we we did the podcast last week with Blake Jude, but these are the like generational game-changing players. And it's why last year it was such a huge deal that Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, and for a time, Deshaun Watson were available. Two of those got resolved this year in an era where you know quarterbacks are recognizing that they dictate entire economies of teams and people will move mountains to acquire those franchise quarterbacks, including Washington, who tried to give their entire franchise for Patrick Mahomes, their entire franchise for Josh Allen, and three first-round picks for Russell Wilson. But, of course, all of them said, hell no, we ain't going to play for the mediocre Washington football team embroiled in scandal and toxic workplace culture. Hell no, we ain't going to play for that team. And so, Russell Wilson ends up in Denver, which is going to get the Broncos in the wild card race, like legitimately in the wild card race. That's good enough to get to the playoffs. And I guess the question is like do you ultimately want to win a championship or remain competitive? Cuz the Broncos, you make this deal 10 times out of 10. You go get Russell Wilson even if Russell Wilson is going to start sputtering after the fact. The possibility of Russell Wilson Being as great as Russell Wilson was in 2017, 2018, and 2019 is exactly why you go out and make that trade. Uh, Because be damned if it doesn't work out. If it doesn't work out, it'll still be better than playing the lottery game of trying to find the next Russell Wilson, which is exactly now what the Seattle Seahawks are about to do, which we'll talk about next. From the Russell Wilson standpoint... It's probably a better football situation than the Seahawks. Maybe everything had just run its course in Seattle because again, Al Davis has the famous phrase of you only he will only work 10 years at a job. You, people should only work 10 years at a job before, you know, it it stops it starts losing its luster before complacency starts to set in. After 10 years, it's time for you to switch jobs and switch industries. In this case, Russell Wilson is in a position where, He, John Schneider, and Pete Carroll have been together since 2012. This was year 10. This was a marriage that ran its course, had lots of success, great healthy children. Sure, it had its issues, but then they had great stable fun for the next five to six years after the wonderful wins at the start. And the marriage became loveless, and Russell Wilson was ready to move on. And John Schneider and Pete Carroll got gigantic contract extensions after 2020, and that was the beginning of the fallout, according to reports done by the Athletic. The eight and one season, uh, the eight and one start to 2020 that the Seahawks had, ultimately I thought would get Pete Carroll gone, but I think Pete Carroll and John Schneider are both in positions where they'll get to stay for as long as they so choose like barring the Seahawks totally falling apart, but they've kind of entered that like Sam Presti territory. I know Sam Presti didn't um, didn't win with the Oklahoma City Thunder, but Sam Presti's universally regarded as one of the best general managers in the NFL. And we'll talk more about this in a second when I talk about the Seahawks side of this. But ultimately, the, the Russell Wilson's decision to move on and, and confirm that the, the organizational structure is the thing that's going to stay in place. We have a better chance of finding another Russell Wilson than finding the organizational structure of John Schneider and Pete Carroll, which is incredibly difficult to find, by the way. Like Both of those things are incredibly, incredibly important for the success of the Seattle Seahawks. So if any of y'all would like to have the conversation about whether the seattle seahawks or denver broncos are a better football fit if you take away the draft picks from the broncos and add russell wilson to the broncos or keep russell wilson on the seahawks all of that you can let me know this is more a case of where both franchises are at different points in their rebuild i don't think this one's going to get the broncos to a super bowl but it is going to get the broncos to the playoffs sometime in the next two years Now we bring it to the Seattle Seahawks side of the things because I mentioned Sam Presti earlier and how the Oklahoma City Thunder kept the organizational structure in place and Sam Presti bought himself essentially a lifetime contract or at least five to seven years to build another success with Oklahoma City. The Seattle Seahawks feel like the Oklahoma City Thunder of the NFL. And the Seattle Seahawks today feels like the day that Oklahoma City traded Paul George to the Clippers and traded Russell Westbrook to the Houston Rockets. This was the end of that era. It was we maximized everything we possibly could out of these teams, and now it's time to move on to trade. And it took about 10 years to get to that place because Russell Wilson was the stable foundation for 10 years. Russell uh, Russell Westbrook was the stable foundation for 10 years. They went through different cores and different iterations. It was Kevin Durant before in the Legion of Boom. Uh, the Legion of Boom was the, the front-facing reason that the Seahawks were winning. And Russell Wilson was the punching bag. And then there was internal strife between the Legion of Boom and Russell Wilson. Same way there was internal strife between Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. And ultimately, the Legion of Boom... Blew up, disappeared, and the legion, um, the Legion of Boom, all left, all almost together, and really resented Russell Wilson for that fact. We saw Bobby Wagner talk shit about uh, Richard Sherman being the prophet after. Uh, Richard Sherman is very anti-Russell Wilson, and we've talked about this a few times on the podcast, where Russell Wilson rubs people the wrong way, and there was a fight between him and Golden Tate right before the Super Bowl, uh, and all kinds of crazy stuff that happened with those Legion of Boom teams that will make an amazing documentary one day down the road. It's also really sad what happened to the Legion of Boom after. Like, you see Michael Bennett went to jail. I think Byron Maxwell has some, uh, I can't remember if it was an assault or a murder charge. uh, Jeremy Lane has had stuff in there, too. Richard Sherman obviously had the pounding on the door at his in-law's house. Uh, Earl Thomas has had all kinds of stuff. Cam Chancellor's career ended because of a neck injury. Like, just all kinds of brutal outcomes for the Legion of Boom. And I'm not saying Kevin Durant's post Oklahoma City career has been necessarily the same sort of situation, but Kevin Durant does seem impossibly less happy after leaving Oklahoma City. And Kevin Durant got all the success, and Kevin Durant seemed miserable in Golden State, and now is kind of in a weird place. Uh, and then we find ourselves now, years removed from the le- six, seven years removed from the Legion of Boom and six, seven years removed from Russell Westbrook and removed from Russell Wilson, becoming the faces of those organizations. Now they went through every resource they could to try and build a winner around those guys. Ultimately, the reason the Seahawks didn't win was they weren't great at drafting. You know, they, in the last six years, they've picked three all-pro players, or I'm sorry, two all-pro players in the NFL draft, one being DK Metcalf, the other being the punter. So they've drafted two all-pro players in the last six years, which is okay, you know. It it keeps you somewhat stable. And the Seattle Seahawks went all-in on Russell Wilson, and the reason that they didn't succeed is because Russell Wilson wasn't as good as the Dallas Cowboys in 2017. Lost to Aaron Rodgers in 2019 in the playoffs. Um, you know, they, they lost one year to... I'm trying to remember. I think it was Carolina one year. I think they lost to Carolina in the playoffs one year. They lost to Green Bay. Uh, I I said Green Bay 2019. They lost to the Rams in 2020. So the Seahawks just had a whole bunch of years where they were just losing in the playoffs because of whether it be health or Russell Wilson not being the, the Patrick Mahomes 13 seconds go down and score guy at the end. Oops, burp, excuse me. Whatever it may be, the Seahawks were always good enough to get there just by having Russell Wilson, but they never got to the elite level because they couldn't supplement enough talent around Russell Wilson. Because as talented as Russell Wilson is, there are also 10 teams that have a Russell Wilson. So the Seahawks were always better for six, seven years. You could go back 10 years. This was the same thing as Oklahoma City. They were always better than the 20 teams that didn't have Russell Wilson. And they were always worse than the 10 teams or the 8 teams that did have a Russell Wilson caliber player. Whether that be uh, Patrick Mahomes, whether that be Aaron Rodgers, Dak Prescott, the Rams with Aaron Donald. They lost to those teams and never got lucky, by the way. Didn't get Bengals level of lucky where one team got hurt or they got a crazy upset in the mix. I think they also lost to the Falcons the year that the Falcons Went to the Super Bowl, so you had MVP Matt Ryan knock them out one year. You had near MVP Aaron Rodgers knock them out one season. So you had defensive player of the year Aaron Donald knocks them out, and they get a pick six on a screen pass from Russell Wilson. Like all of that stuff ended up leaving the Seahawks in the same place for like six or seven years, and they used every resource they could to try and get enough talent to put Russell Wilson over the edge. It's kind of like having Russell Westbrook. If Russell Westbrook is your star player, you're good enough to make the playoffs and second round every single year. And you will lose to the Warriors, and you will lose to the Rockets, and you will lose to... Uh, I forgot who else the, the Thunder lost to during that stretch. Oh, the Blazers. Remember, Damian Lillard hits the step-back shot, waves the, the waves away. That was the last play of the OK3 OK dynasty. But they dismantled the players, but the organizational structure stayed in place. And that's the exact same move that the Seahawks made. Seahawks keep the organizational structure in place and move on from all of the other players. And now they get to restart from scratch. They used every resource they possibly could. This is similar to what I talk about with the Bucks, also in the NBA, which is the Seahawks used... Every resource they could. By the way, same thing happened to the New Orleans Saints. To build around Drew Brees, the Saints used every resource they could. They traded all their draft picks. They'd used all of their caps. They went $100 million over the cap space. They used every bit they could, and it still wasn't good enough to win a championship. And the same thing happened to the Seahawks, where they did everything they could. The reason it didn't work out is because those moves just didn't work out as well, as they thought they would. And so the Seattle Seahawks, ultimately after using all their resources, ended and jump-started the next era by trading Russell Wilson when his value was the highest. And by the way, took a lesser offer because Russell Wilson would only accept a trade to a certain number of teams. So they got less than market value for Russell Wilson. I know two firsts, two seconds, uh, Noah Fant, Drew Locke. Okay, whatever. Drew Locke. Uh, QB1 for the Hawks. Instead of QB1 for the Ponies, he's now QB1 for the Hawks. But, anyways, so, you know, that was not enough. But it was also probably the best the Seattle Seahawks could have done, given that Russell Wilson had a no trade clause. They were never going to get fair market value, the same way that Sam Presti got a deal he could not refuse and traded Paul George and then happened to swindle the Rockets out of Russell Westbrook. But other than that, like he made those moves to jumpstart the rebuild the same way the Seahawks traded Russell Wilson instead of losing Russell Wilson for nothing. And so, Russell Wilson leaving Seattle puts Seattle in a position now where if it's up to me, they should do the Oklahoma City model. Everybody out the door. Everybody out the door. If you're Bobby Wagner, out the door. If you're Tyler Lockett, out the door. Chris Carson, out the door. Get as much value as you can for those players. The problem is, you also can't sell too low. But this is an interesting trade off, right? The Seahawks want to be bad enough to get the top pick in the draft, but it's incredibly random to get the top pick in the NFL draft like the Seahawks are probably going to be actively tanking but so are six to seven other teams in the NFL so it's incredibly lucky who gets the top top pick in order to get Bryce Young or to get CJ Stroud or whoever's going to be the top pick in the 2023 draft who's a generational changing player and is going to represent the next great hope for the Seattle Seahawks who by the way like although they made a Super Bowl and had Sean Alexander win MVP like The Seahawks haven't really had one of those guys. Like, pre-John Schneider and pre-Pete Carroll in 2010, the Seahawks have never really had that dude. And it's really hard for teams to get there. The Seahawks are in jeopardy of like going 10 years in purgatory now because they just don't get lucky enough to get one of those 15 game-changing generational players or generational quarterbacks. But their hands were tied with the Russell Wilson situation. There was only so much they could do to keep Russell Wilson. And so by getting him, it's going to be success for Nathaniel Hackett, even if I have no idea how good Nathaniel Hackett is. And if you're the the Seahawks, take offers on pretty much everyone. You don't have to accept offers for pretty much everyone. Don't take lesser offers in a fire sale. You don't have to tear the team down if you don't want to tear the team down. You can still get a top draft pick either way. But you have a lot of people that still have value to other teams. Bits and pieces that still hold some level of value. If you can get a first plus for DK Metcalf, you trade DK Metcalf. You listen to offers on DK Metcalf. If you can get a second plus for Tyler Lockett, you make that move. If you can get anything above what you value Bobby Wagner at, you make that move at this point. And so... See if teams start calling and see if you can start getting some higher prices. Engage what the market is for all of your players. There should be no one that's untouchable. And if everyone, if this is going to be a crazy spending year and you can get a bunch of draft picks and young pieces, then the Seattle Seahawks should be not afraid to trade everyone. At this point in time, this is not a declaration to trade everyone at this point in time. Whoever your next great quarterback is going to be is going to definitely have value from DK Metcalf. But there's also a possibility that with either Drew Locke or Geno Smith as his quarterback, DK Metcalf's value is going to go significantly down and his value will never be higher than where it is right now. And while he's still on a rookie contract. And you know He's now eligible for an extension But just now becomes eligible For an extension for any team that acquires him Similar position to where the Raiders Were with Amari Cooper last year See if someone will give up a first And a third for DK Metcalf See if someone will give up A, I don't know A second plus For Lockett, see if someone will give up a pick For Gabe Jackson, see if someone Will give up a pick for Chris Carson Even though running backs are kind of interchangeable See if someone will give up a first for Jamal Adams. See what you can get for all of these players right now. Because you should not be afraid to trade anyone because you just traded the guy who gave <laughs> you just traded the guy who is going to signify, hey, we're gonna be bad for the next four to five years. Time will tell if the Sam Presti situation works out and the NBA is different in such a way where you're incentivized to trade all of those picks to get another Russell Westbrook or Paul George caliber player. Which, by the way, the Thunder tried to do. They tried to go get Cade Cunningham. The Pistons simply declined to trade Cade Cunningham. And Oklahoma City's trying that strategy. The Seahawks can do the same thing next year with all their available draft picks. Give them all up to get Bryce Young or to get C.J. Stroud. But if this is like a 2021 draft situation or you know, 2019, where the top two picks are not available for any price, then the Seahawks might be shit out of luck, and they have to rely on being smarter than everyone else. And as great as John Schneider and as great as Pete Carroll were at building that legion of boom, recent history, and by recent history, I mean close to a decade, suggests they aren't necessarily smarter than than Everyone else. Maybe if they invest more resources into the draft process, it'll be easier for them to do those talent evaluations. Recent history does suggest that the Seattle Seahawks are not as good at drafting and evaluating talent as we may be inclined to give them credit for. And that's just because we've seen the Legion of Boom have success in a really incredible Confluence of great players at the same time all the credit to schneider and pete carroll They might make the hall of fame just on that alone on drafting russell wilson in the third round and richard sherman in the fifth round and cam chancellor and bobby Wagner and uh earl thomas and michael bennett and marshawn lynch trade Doing all of that might get them into the hall of fame by themselves (laughs) Uh, Jimmy johnson got into the hall of fame with a similar type of resume It doesn't mean that they are going to be able to capture it again. It is highly, highly unlikely that this works out the way the Seahawks want. And the most effective strategy right now would be listen to offers on everyone. And don't be afraid to pull the trigger on a trade for anyone, especially Tyler Lockett. Cause I don't think his value is going up with a new quarterback and a crowded wide receiver room. So do not be afraid to trade Tyler Lockett. In fact, Tyler Lockett might be the one where I say just get whatever value you can for him because his value is about to go down. Mark this, just in case I'm wrong, a year from now. Lockett trade, Wagner trade, DK, has to be an offer you can't refuse. But everyone should be on the table because they are in the place that the Oklahoma City Thunder were in in 2019, where you've now jump-started your rebuild, you have a bunch of draft picks, The best way to do this might be to get the number one or number two pick in next year's draft, and that might require making some more moves to put themselves in a situation to possibly acquire another Russell Wilson at the top of the draft. Before we conclude this fine podcast here today, I would like to give a shout-out to one NFL player in particular and that is mister Harold Landry the third linebacker for the Tennessee Titans who cashed in on a five year eighty seven and a half million dollar contract prior to free agents or prior to the franchise tag deadline passing. Harold Landry who has the distinct honor on this wonderful little show here of being an NFL pre-season hall of famer. One of the oldest bits we've ever done here in the content game that we have is the pre-season Hall of Fame. It is a lore of a list to honor some of the greatest preseason players to have ever graced the gridiron and the hardwood It is an award that over time has gotten more and more ridiculous as the years have gone on. We award it every single year except for the year of COVID. We didn't do a football one because, you know, they canceled the preseason. But anyways, we honor every single year a preseason Hall of Famer. And this year we did a class of four, but it used to be just two NFL players every single year. And The class of 2019's defensive preseason Hall of Famer, Harold Landry III, cashed in on a gigantic contract. His fellow preseason Hall of Fame class member, Daniel Jones, not exactly cashing in on a deal, but this is a perfect metaphor for the preseason Hall of Fame. It's that it's completely meaningless. The preseason Hall of Fame is so difficult to pin down exactly who belongs where on the preseason hall of fame the preseason in the NFL has essentially just become a hall of fame for people who are either rookies like Micah Parsons dominating on hard knocks or people on the fringes of rosters whether it be Easton Stick winning the award in 2021 Mac Jones Marquez Callaway Brian Burns, some of these people first round picks, others not so much in the first round pick camp. Brian Burns has obviously developed into a star. His is across two years actually, body of work for one Brian Burns. Derek Barnett is in the preseason Hall of Fame class. Josh Jackson, the corner, I'm not even sure if he's still in the NFL, is in the preseason Hall of Fame class. We have Deshaun Kaiser, that's how far back this goes. Dak Prescott, Trey Flowers, this lore... Goes back all the way to 2016. And every time I see Harold Landry, I have to mention that it is preseason Hall of Famer Harold Landry that we reference because the preseason Hall of Fame is an award show of the greatest of the great preseason players. And it's completely meaningless to the future careers of NFL players. But a second round pick, Harold Landry, who is a preseason Hall of Famer across two seasons, has gotten his due payment he has cashed in the big contract that everyone tries to cash in in the National Football League big time congratulations to one Harold Landry preseason Hall of Fame class of 2019 and now 87 million dollar man for the Tennessee Titans one offseason after the Titans spent 87 million dollars signing Bud Dupree I'm sure all of these contracts will not come back to the bite the titans even in the slightest especially when derrick henry isn't the same player that he is now especially then those contracts won't come back to bite the titans ladies and gentlemen thank you for stopping in here to the take it easy podcast on a day where we had two of the biggest news stories in the nfl resolved i'm sure we will have many many more commentary with all of our wonderful friends whether it be blake jude or our buddy Uh, Morgan from Australia, possibly Cam from DSD, returning tomorrow, which is probably available by the time you're listening to this. Check it out. All kinds of fun content coming at you here on the Take It Easy podcast. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, we will have lots of Russell Wilson talk to come. Aaron Rodgers news will circulate until the next time you hear us talking about the game-altering quarterbacks in the NFL, and how the Denver Broncos will very much be in the mixies next year. Until then, take it easy. We leave you today in honor of Harold Landry getting $88 million from the Titans, our montage of me being loud right about how fraudulent the 2021 Tennessee Titans were. Because any chance I have to play this, I want to play it. Take it easy, everybody. Number one, this 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 was the easiest one to do, although I love me some Patrick Mahomes and I love me some Aaron Rodgers. This is far and away what I'm rooting for the most on Super Bowl Sunday, which is number one, Anyone except the Tennessee Titans. That is my number one Super Bowl matchup. I want anyone to play in the Super Bowl other than the Tennessee Titans. It can be the Chiefs. It can be the Bills. It could be the Cincinnati Bengals, even. It'd be weird if it was the Cincinnati Bengals, but let it be anyone other than the team I have said consistently is the sixth best team in the AFC. So my number one Super Bowl matchup is get the bleep out Tennessee Titans. I'm just fascinated that the Titans wound up with the number one seed. Uh... <laughs> that was bizarre. I mean, this is the thing that I've said all week, which is I I know there are tiebreakers, but the tiebreakers are wrong. The tiebreakers were just wrong this year. That the Titans are the ones beat over the Chiefs and the Eagles got in over the Saints. Both of those tiebreakers were just wrong in doing the analysis of who's a better team because I know the Chiefs w- the Chiefs could go to Tennessee tomorrow and be 7.0 point favorites and The fact that they have to play the Steelers on wildcard weekend is unfortunate. You take that away from the Titans, they are essentially what the Bengals are, what the Saints are, what the Chargers are, and what the Broncos are, just by taking away Derrick Henry. And so that is why, even with the easy strength of schedule, the Titans were always going to be in jeopardy because... They can be beaten on any given Sunday, and I know that's a cliche, but the Titans can't score points. It's the same way the Steelers are, where I wish the NFL could have gone to 16-team playoff this year so that the Colts could have played the Titans in the first round, gone into Tennessee, and beaten the Titans. Because the Colts are better than the Titans, the Bengals are better than the Titans, the Ravens with Lamar Jackson are better than the Titans that team wins because they get that turnover margin, and I get to be proven right in spectacular fashion that the Tennessee Titans are incapable of scoring points. Is that the schedule does not matter. Yes, the Chiefs may have a really difficult strength of schedule, but the Kansas City Chiefs are still really, really good. The Titans may have an easy schedule the rest of the way, but they're also not very good, so they're going to lose some of these games because the Tennessee Titans, as we talked about with the Saints comparison earlier, they're about the level of an average NFL team.